So Money Episode 679, Trisha Brooke, director, choreographer, and performer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. How's it going? I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Trisha Brooke is our guest today, and she does it all. She works in film, TV, theater. She's a writer, director, and choreographer. She's also, because she has somehow some extra time in her life, the founder of The Big Talk, and it is a popular service where she uses her expertise in the art of public speaking to make other big talks and keynotes a success. Her clients have gone on to earn seven-figure income streams. They have received invitations to speak with the FDA and speak at TEDx events all over the country. Trisha recently produced a documentary called The Dinner is Full. It's about a man named Chris who started the 747 Club, and that is a dinner club for strangers to gather and meet authentically around simple pasta sauce. Her next musical is Committed, coming in February of this year, and that is a story of eight psychiatric patients struggling with their mental illnesses in a 1989 psychiatric ward. And the aim of the show is to destigmatize mental illness through honesty, humor, and art. Trisha is also the producer of TEDx Lincoln Square and the host of the podcast, The Big Talk, where she currently interviews people who talk for a living. Trisha and I discuss why being a starving artist is neither sexy nor so money, how she managed to make money while on the road traveling with her dance company, and if an employer won't pay you what you're worth, if you discover a male coworker is making twice as much, should you take the job? Should you quit? Should you sue? Trisha has a detailed personal story about this. Finally, how to convince investors to invest in your project, especially a risky theatrical production. So much ground we cover with the wonderful Trisha Brooke. Here we go. Take a listen. Trisha Brooke, welcome to So Money, my showbiz guest of the of January. It's so nice to connect with women who are from so many different industries. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. It's a pleasure to be here. Earlier, I was asking you, how would you describe your industry? Because you do so much as a choreographer, as a, a producer, as an actor, as a director, as a dancer. Is it fair to say you're in show business? It's exactly fair to say I'm in show business. I work in film, TV, theater as a writer, director, choreographer, and I also produce theater and film as well as TEDx Lincoln Square. And I really take a theatrical uh, lens, a theatrical point of view as the executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square. It would be great to infuse your sense of entrepreneurship more and more into the world of entertainment and performance, because I feel like as artists, sometimes we get so bogged down in our craft. We're so passionate about that creative process that we sometimes forget how to diversify, how to own our own content and our own intellectual property and produce things that are ours. How did you get that savvy? Because I don't think this is something that is widely taught or widely enforced. I love this question, Farnoosh, because as an an artist or somebody in the performing arts, we're taught to 
really think that being a starving artist is sexy. And I never thought it was. I feel like we can be creatives. We can be artists and we can still make a living doing it. And that was something that I knew I wanted to do from the very beginning. When I moved to New York City to pursue a career in dance, I wanted to also be able to take myself out to dinner and buy new shoes. So that was the first moment where I thought, how am I going to make money in New York and go on the road with dance companies. So I started Brook Moves, a fitness company that was making money while I was on the road and still makes money today while I'm doing other things. So it was really important to me to shift the light off of you must be a starving artist into if you're going to be an artist. That is not true at all. You can be successful financially and still be extremely creative. What's the perception that if you're not a starving artist, what, that you're a sellout? (laughs) Yeah, that well, that you're a sellout or you're not suffering. And in order to create good art, you must always suffer. Yes. Not, Not true. Not true. You don't have to be a depressed, alcoholic, poor, homeless. Although plenty of famous artists, um, you know, have come from those uh, adverse backgrounds, but it's, it's not something that, you know, we would wish on anybody. Why would we wish that on anybody? I don't know. We have enough internal suffering. We don't have to also suffer by not having heat, hot water, enough money to pay your bills. <laughs> well, I love that we've already jumped into money, um, but let's take a step back because uh, it's not every day I get to have such a successful female industry leader in the industry of show business on so money. Um, it's a very crazy time. Let's just call it that. That's happened, you know, with regards to what's happening as far as gender equality. And uh, for a long time, was I can remember watching every awards show. And for many years, there was at least one or two instances at each award show where women would take a stance against gender discrimination, the gender wage gap in Hollywood, the gender opportunity gap in Hollywood, and not just Hollywood, but across the industry, everywhere around the world. And now with the demise of people like Harvey Weinstein, and now we're kind of pulling the curtain, so to speak, how has that one impacted your work to any extent? But also, where do you think this is taking us? Do you see a new dawn? I'm really glad to be able to talk about this. It's a devastating time. It is also an awakening time. And I surround myself on sets with women. I hire women DPs. I hire women editors. I think it's extremely important that we must hire other women. We must be given the opportunity to have the meetings so that there can be more women in showbiz. It is a male-dominated field and it's been male dominated for far too long. And that is why women have been taken advantage of for so many years. And they haven't been able to speak up because they risk not moving forward in the profession. So if we give women more meetings, I'm not saying we should give them more jobs. I'm saying we should give them more opportunities to get the jobs so that we can create a balance in the business so that men and women are viewed as equal. And when I work with women, they don't have to concern themselves with what they're wearing, what they're showing up to. It's about the work. There's never any issue with gender. It's about 
doing the work and creating a safe environment. And that's what I want to see happen in Hollywood. I want the environments to be safe so that the work can be done. You got to wonder, not only do we have to give them the meetings, we have to pay them enough. Because a lot of what keeps women vulnerable in any industry, vulnerable to attack by man, sexual harassment, is that you don't feel you have the economic independence, the financial independence, the financial freedom to fight for yourself, right? Because with money comes a lot of courage, I think. I mean, you can still be courageous and poor, but you know what I mean. Um, if you feel economically challenged and also uh, like there is... This is the necessarily the path for you if you are going to make more money. You have to please this man who's going to give you this job. That needs to change. I think that's part of it too. It does need to change and it needs to change by having women ask for what they're worth. We need to ask for what we're worth. We, we need to not accept a cent less than what we are worth. And if that means we don't get the job, I believe we need to stand up and not take the job. It needs to, it, we need to adjust this as women. We need to ask for what we're worth, except not a penny less. Did you always feel this way and, and practice this? Or did you maybe learn early on the importance of speaking up for yourself, Trisha? Uh, you know, I think you have a lot of grit. And I wouldn't be surprised if this, this is just in your DNA. But I also wonder if you had an experience that taught you this lesson. It has always been in my DNA, but I was very fortunate to have an experience when I first moved here and I was working with a dance company and my best friend in the company was male. And casually we were talking about what we were getting paid and I learned he was being paid more than me. So I went to volunteer lawyer for the arts. I got myself a lawyer for free. And we sued and we won because he was discriminating against me. I should have been paid just as much as the dudes. I was dancing just as much as the guys. What? That's amazing. And um, can I ask for the details of that? Like, you know, to maybe say specific numbers, but was he making like twice as much? And with the lawsuit, did you just get your money that you were owed or was there like a settlement? He, he was being paid twice as much as I, and we did not uh, ask for any money in return. We just asked for him to pay the women the exact amount as the men. And then I quit the company. Wow. So it wasn't just you. It was multiple women. It was all the women. The, the women oh. were being paid 50% less than the men. And there, and it was an equal amount of men to women in the company. Incredible. And what was their defense? I don't actually remember what their defense was. <laughs> they, <laughs> they settled pretty quickly and, and they, they, they paid those women what they were worth pretty quickly. Oh, well, I'm so glad for that. And think about all the women... That you helped out. You know, I was at recently speaking at a conference on negotiating and it hit me. And I said this out loud as it was hitting me. I said, here's the thing. When you ask for more, we all win because it elevates the baseline. You know, when when Trisha's making more because she fought for that, then it's going to help the woman right behind her that's coming up for that job after she leaves. And um, it's not a guarantee, but when surely when when we talk about what we're making, that's really powerful. Uh, and then we are able to go in and ask for our worth. I mean, you talk about knowing what you're worth. Part of that means asking around to your colleagues and your you know your peers in your industry how much they have made, are making, are negotiating. That informs you. And if we can all get on the same page, we can all raise the bar at the same time. So it's it's not. You're helping yourself, but if you need any more 
a motivation, you're helping a whole generation of people behind you. Absolutely. And then they hopefully will become more comfortable negotiating for their teams. Right. It's a really exciting time to be in business and to be a leader in whatever field that you are, to be calling the shots, whether you're at work or in your own company, to be a woman too. I I was not sure how things were going to shake out in this administration, to be honest, but having now, it's been a year, um, I'm feeling really good about being a woman. Not that I ever not liked being a woman, but you know what I mean? There were some, there was a lot of concern as far as our rights and our role and our treatment in society and at work, given the the temperament of this administration, it is uh, a great time to be uh, to be empowering women for sure. It's always right. a great time to be empowering women. All right, Tricia, let's talk more about money. What was your introduction to money as a child? Was there, was there an experience growing up that really impacted your take on uh, how to manage money? Well, my mom opened a savings account for me when I was about seven or eight. So I learned how to use the ledger to watch my deposits add up. And I think that was when I became really comfortable with the balance of spending and saving. I could see it on the ledger. So for me, it was never emotional and it was just numbers. And it's the same today. Money is not emotional for me. It's just numbers. Money is not emotional for me. Is that why you think you've been able to be such a good negotiator? Absolutely. It's not personal. It's not about me. It's about what I'm worth. But yeah, what you do takes so much emotion and empathy and you are a lovely, caring, emotional person. Um, how do you compartmentalize that part of your life and say, okay, this is my money, my financial life. I'm going to just be all about the numbers here. Is there a trick? I think for me, it's really a, a, a clear separation. If I have my finances in order, then I can be free to be creative and to not be worried. How am I going to pay my rent? I just want to make one more movie. <laughs> and, you know, it is complicated when you're financing and producing your own creative work, knowing it's not going to pay you back. So that's why I started two companies so that I can relax in my creative work, be able to generate material, be able to make a difference in the world and in the world of others by creating art and have the money part just easy. Was there a messy money mistake that you ever made uh, that was really, you know, a really good lesson at the end of the day? I spent two years raising money and investing my own money into a feature film that never got made. It was really difficult because I thought it would be easy to raise the money. And I had a lot of people uh, coming in and saying they were going to invest and they didn't. <laughs> so the failure taught me a lot about producing and really just how hard it is to raise money for a feature film that guarantees nobody's return. So I think that was a really, really big learning lesson is you have to, first of all, make sure everybody knows they're not going to get their money back. <laughs> And secondly, it's a big gamble. And the reason they gamble on it is because of you. So you have to have a really good group of investors in order to raise money. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. 
With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. So in your experience, when you were successful in raising money, what made it successful? I have a lot of entrepreneurs who come on the show who work in the tech space or the financial space, and they take us behind the scenes to boardrooms where they're pitching their businesses. They give me some pointers. They say like some of the crazy stuff that's happened, like flat out discrimination because she was a woman. Um, In your experience, how do you convince an investor to give you money for whether it's a play or that a movie, what's, what's worked? What's worked is being able to go in and, and passionately express my vision as a director. That has been what has gotten people on board uh, with investing or donating in non-for-profit theater that I've created. Um, it's much easier to ask for money that's a tax write-off. Um, so non-for-profit theater is pretty easy to raise money for. Um, but when you're asking people to invest blindly into a film that 95% of the time isn't going to make their money back, you want them to just feel comfortable supporting the project. So I think the best thing to do when you're pitching um, an investor is to pitch from the heart, inspire instead of asking for money, inspire them to want to get out their checkbooks. Uh, but at the same time, I'm sure as investors, they want to have some, um, they want to have some evidence or some projections that their money's actually going to uh, be returned at the minimum. And maybe they'll make something on top of that. You can't make that promise. And you have to go in saying at the very beginning, I cannot promise you you're going to get any of this money back. I hope that we will. I hope we all get it back. But I can't make that promise. So if you're going to invest in my film, it's got to be because you want to and you don't need the money yourself. <laughs> and and we you look at some of these shows that have gone on, like Broadway shows that have gone on to be so successful. Hamilton, obviously. And uh, gosh, before that, it was the Book of Mormon. And is there a common denominator amongst the shows that hit it big and the ones that fail? That's a great question. No, it is literally lightning. And, you know, I mean, Hamilton is a is an incredible piece of theater and it's extremely unique. And what I loved about Hamilton is Lin-Manuel Miranda gave the um, originating company points in the show. That never happens. So that was something that sort of really made the experience special. So all of those first, uh, the first cast is they're continuing to make money as producers. And so I think, you know, when you, we all think our show is special. We all think our show is going to go to Broadway and 99% of them don't. So you just have to keep showing up. And that's why I say, you know, separate the money from the creativity and from your passion. You might get rich, but you probably won't if you're an artist, <laughs> which is why you want to have a business on the side so that you can potentially get rich with that. And we haven't even talked about this, but you're also the producer of TEDx Lincoln Square. 
and you have from there started to work with people who uh, want to give the big talk, <clears throat> which is another uh, revenue stream of yours. Can you tell us about, can you share if there's someone listening on this podcast who wants to give a big, important talk on a big stage and they're a beginner and they don't have a ton of experience talking in front of crowds, but uh, they know they have it in them. What would be your guidance, your coaching for that person? Start talking to everybody you can. Get comfortable talking out loud. Get comfortable talking in front of your family. Start telling fairy tales. Start becoming more comfortable with articulating and not using um and like Begin to speak, begin to practice speaking and do it all the time. Then you can worry about writing your speech. Oh boy. If I had a penny for every time I said, um, or like, I wouldn't need so many jobs, (laughs) but I think it's part of my charm. Uh, But no, (laughs) of course, if I'm on a big stage, it's much different. Podcasting really, I feel, you know, we're just having a conversation here. I feel like you're just across the dinner table and I'm, uh, uh, I, I get a little too comfortable maybe with my word choices, but you're absolutely right. TEDx Lincoln Square, uh, what's on the docket? What, what is the theme for 2018? The theme for 2018 is looking beyond. And I really think of that in terms of space, ocean, gender, spirituality, sexuality. So if you can imagine looking beyond what's right in front of you to see what might be bigger or more fascinating, that's what looking beyond is to me. It's such a great year to be able to explore that. I really feel like we're on a precipice. We're on the cusp. We're we're really, there's a sea change happening. It's really an exciting time and in so many industries. It is. Hold on one second, Trisha. My son just walked in. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Evan. I'm just going to say hi. Of course. You want to say hi to Trisha? Say hi, Trisha. Hi, Trisha. Hi. Hi, Evan. Hi, Annie. How are you? How are you? Good. All right. He thought your name was Patricia because his teacher's Patricia, right, Evan? Okay. Mommy's working now, okay? Yeah, go take that to the table. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. That was easier than pretending I wasn't here. Exactly. And he would have had a meltdown. Right. All right. Thanks for being patient. Of course. I want to ask you, Trisha, is there a money habit that you practice to keep your finances straight? Yes, I spend some and I save some. That is a serious practice that I am consistent with. Um, I've always been a saver, but I also love to invest in myself and in my life. Um, And so in life, I apply this thought process by saving enough for a disaster, but also spending in the way that makes me feel comfortable and sexy. Um, (laughs) Go ahead. I like that comfortable and sexy. Uh, When you say some, I save some, I spend some. Are you specific or exact about the sum? I am exact and specific. Absolutely. Uh, Each account gets a certain number and I make that happen every single month. And if there is an issue with not enough uh, coming in to pay the bills, then I adjust my spending the following month so that I can afford everything. Is there anything, any rituals that you do, especially at the top of the year with regards to maybe your budget or your credit or as an investor, as as a female entrepreneur too, like what are the concerted efforts you make for your business, financial efforts? Well, this year is going to be a little different because I was involved in that Experian hack. So I am definitely going to be checking everything multiple times to make sure that I'm still uh, safe. Wow. Yeah. How did that surface for you? They uh, sent out an email and all you had to do was 
submit your last four numbers of your social and they could identify whether or not you were part of the hack. And I was. Yeah. Wow. And so are you, have you done a credit freeze? I've done a credit freeze. I've done, uh, they actually gave me, uh, insurance for the next year, a million dollar coverage for the next year to cover any issues that might come up. And, um, I'm also, I use LastPass, and that's a great, um, software that also, uh, keeps an eye out for any strange activity. That is a really good tip. And that's great that they offered you that huge insurance policy. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, this happened to you, but it sounds like they're trying to to make it good. They really are. Yeah, I got two free credit checks and they're watching it, watching it. Awesome. All right, Trisha, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. (laughs) This is when I start a sentence and then you finish it. Just throw in the first uh, phrase word that comes to mind. Okay. If I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is I would donate to Frankie and Friends and Emily's List. (laughs) Then I'd take my husband on a trip. I'd buy a theater in New York and hire people to take care of it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Would you buy an existing theater? Would you start one from scratch? Would it be any different than the theaters that we're normally used to experiencing? I would buy the same theater that I'm used to working in so that it's rinse and repeat. Nice. That's like saving the Muppet Theater. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) From the crazy oil tycoon. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah. As much as we can invest in the arts, it's such a... It's such an important part of our lives. When you donate, where do you like to donate to? I like to donate to women in business um, and in women's organizations. Emily's List is actually a new organization that helps give women an opportunity to serve in office. So I, I highly recommend that because we need more women in politics. When I splurge, I like to buy... Um, when I splurge, I like to buy massages. Nice. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is sending out the laundry. Oh, yes. (laughs) Laundry is the last domestic frontier (laughs) for so many households. It's the last um, frontier that we have yet to conquer. I've Uh, conquered mine. (laughs) But you've conquered it. It's well, we have too, but sometimes we still have to hand wash things and it's really you know what? Folding is the worst. It's the folding. I much prefer right. the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I hate doing is um, I hate unloading the dishwasher. I would rather wash dishes by hand than unload a dishwasher. It just seems so like it just feels so it's just boring. I don't know. I agree. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is you can be happy and rich. You didn't think you could be those two things at the same time. Is it the whole starving artist? Persona? I, ha- I hadn't considered it. I thought that being happy meant, yeah, sort of, you know, living, you know, uh, middle class, everything's good. But I, I absolutely think if you are a happy person, you're going to be happy poor and you're going to be happy yes. rich. So let's choose rich. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Someone else on my show one time said that money only makes you more of who you are. Yeah. So if you're um, a generous person, you make more and chances are you're going to give more. Um, if you are a frugal person, but not that that's bad, but like, um, I guess, miserly, let's say that, uh, then if you make more, then it's not like you're going to be any more giving with that money. I completely agree with you. I guess also we grow up with this mindset, this expression we hear often is money doesn't buy happiness. And I think that can also distort your view of what being rich and wealthy necessarily means. 
Right. And it, it can be a good thing. I mean, I always say that doesn't buy happiness, but it, you know, it can make your life easier when you know how to manage it right. And certainly if you are someone who likes to give and you know what to do with that money and the experiences to afford with that money, certainly that can increase happiness and fulfillment in life. Definitely. I mean, look at Melinda and Bill Gates. Right. Exactly. They're such a wonderful example. All right. Last but not least, I'm Trisha Brooke and I'm so money because... I am so money because it does not define me or validate me. That is why I am so money. I love it. Thank you so much for giving us so much to, one, look forward to in the new year. You've given us a lot of hope about how things are evolving in the world of show business. The great work that you put out is so inspiring and so important. And you yourself, just how you, you know, take on the day is, is really exemplary, Trisha. You know, the fact that you're not, you're not uh, allowing this starving artist mentality become you and that you want to really change that mindset is, uh, is important. And thank you for your work. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. And I hope that we can continue to validate women and create equality uh, in the workplace. Thanks so much to Trisha for stopping by. Her website is trishabrook.com and Brooke is spelled B-R-O-U-K.com. And to learn more about her speech services, go to thebigtalknyc.com and there you can download a free book, Trisha's free ebook called The Art of the Start. That's thebigtalknyc.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. By the way, if you want to reach me, it's really easy. Go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. There you can send me your money questions or career questions. You can also there imply that you want to co-host with me on the Friday episodes. We've been doing this for several months now, bringing on some listeners onto the stage to go through our listeners' questions and share your own insights with us. And I love getting to know you a little bit better that way. So would love to connect. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money.